bless you, brother. Thank you. Boy, things like that just kind of cause you to step back. off myself, you know, you know the, the petty things that I may go through in this life are very, very petty compared to what a lot of other people are going through out there, suffering, and, and uh, <clears throat> wow, that's something else there. And then something that just kind of hit me, this is just a little side note here, I guess, As I get convicted of being a more dedicated soldier in God's army, you know, this this whole Afghanistan thing here, they're comparing it to Saigon, Vietnam. Of course, that was 1975, and I I remember, I was obviously old enough to remember uh, some of the things that took place, and I remember the one refugee from Vietnam that was in my hometown of Madras over there. They got him a job at the grocery store and he would take the groceries out for the people and and all he could say was thank you, thank you, thank you. And he would smile and drop him off and say thank you. And my mom one time tried to talk to him and all he could say was thank you. And uh, but here I mean he's, he's totally uprooted. Who knows where his family was? I, and yet I, I remember looking back at that event from a carnal perspective, earthly perspective. And I, I didn't keep up a lot. You know, we didn't have internet back then. You had television and radio, and you had the newspaper, read the news. And, and uh, I do remember the thoughts going through my head of, how did we lose this war? We are the United States of America. We were back then, still was, the superpower in the world that could just kick anybody around anywhere, even the Russians and the Chinese back then, if we wanted to bad enough. How did we lose this? How did this happen? And that's, of course, that's been the question for a lot of people throughout the decades. But then I, the Lord just put this on my heart just this morning. I just kind of convicted me. Then I step back in a spiritual sense. Thank you. And if I'm, I'm losing a battle, or if we're losing a battle, if we're, we're not coming out as we ought, then the question is rightfully asked, how did we lose this battle? Who do we serve? Do we not serve the superpower of the universe? So it's just some things that the Lord's just kind of convicted me of, you know. If we lose, how did we lose? How does, how does that happen? Do we, is not the king of kings our king? 
Now, true, we're in a fight, we are in a war, we are in a battle, and it is intense. And we all would agree that if our eyes were opened up to see all the darkness and the spiritual warfare that's going on in the heavenlies, it would blow our minds away. But it's real. It is. But at the same time, and I'm, I'm preaching more to myself here, I think, yeah, but who do we serve? Who has saved us? Who has saved me? Who has saved you? Who is he? Amen. The king. He is the king. Okay? The king. Amen. That's who he is. And we need reminded of that. And if there is a tactic, yes, that the enemy will try to uh, use on us is to try and get us to kind of in just a little way to forget who he is. Just look down here a little bit. It's okay. You don't need to look up so much. He's, he's always there. You don't need to look at him all the time. Well, yes, we do. So I'm getting off on a rabbit trail here. So and I, But hopefully it's the Lord's rabbit trail. Um, God, I'm just feeling convicted there and that, that again that thought just came to my mind as I, I pondered the news of the last two weeks of this Afghanistan thing and they've compared it to Saigon Vietnam when the helicopters were coming in pulling the people out they had the what they called the boat people they were people back then it's, it's not like coming from Cuba over to Florida they had the Pacific Ocean to cross and there were people coming out of South Vietnam who just get in boats and they just take off out on the ocean. They, where are you going? I don't know. But out there is better than staying right here because we're going to die right here. And I, I remember that. And uh, and I think, man, Lord, how did we lose? And then I ask myself, if I lose, how do I lose? How do the children of God lose? It ought not be. We serve the king. Well, by faith, I'm going to go ahead and just go forward here with my message here. I'm feeling a little bit torn and ripped up inside here, and I don't know. I don't know. So we'll, we'll trust God and go forward. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me 
in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Last time, we went over, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And we talked about what that table was. It wasn't just a table that was being depicted there. It was a table land. We talked about the mesas. And we talked about, had a little picture of Table Mountain down in uh, South Africa. A mountain that looks like a big table on top. And it's like the Lord said, no, no, come on. You're dealing with me, the king. I'm not just going to give you a little table. I'm giving you a table, a mountain-sized table. Do you believe that? And, of course, we want to say, yes, Lord. Let's, let's go to the table and let's feast. And if you've got one of these, you've got a feast right in your hands that God has given you. And you can eat this feast up in the presence of your enemies. What would we do if you sat down at your table in the morning and you began feasting? And let's say it just ministered to you. You hit something just rich and deep and... You could hear the voice of God speaking to you out of this. And man, this is good. This is God. Lord, thank you. You're ministering to me. And all of a sudden, the most hideous looking demonic creatures all around you just salivating, wanting to just eat you up. The presence of your enemies. A feast in the presence of your enemies. Yes, I confess. I probably would hunker down and say, Oh, Lord, help Or could I, could I, could I, is it possible that by faith we could just say, I go, go away, I'm too busy right here, leave me alone, I'm fine. And just not even worry about it. Recognizing who you serve and who's with you and what you're eating. And there's a promise there that there's nothing that can take you out of His hand. That even in the presence of your enemies... You wouldn't be shaken. Lord, help us to live there and be there and stay there. It's a good feast. Tree of life. So, today, I want to look at how anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Thou anointest my head with oil. Of course, we've been going through Philip Keller's book here. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. A man who was a literal shepherd, and through his experiences has shared... uh, his testimony through the sheep that he raised. Here now, where it would appear the sheep are in a sublime setting in the high meadows, where there are clear running springs, where the forage of fresh tender, where there is the intimate close contact with the shepherd, suddenly we find a fly in the ointment. For the terminology of the sheep man, 
summertime is fly time. Yes, God sets a table out there. And yes, we have an enemy. And many times that enemy, if he doesn't, he likely isn't going to scare us to death with his own hideous presence. That probably would be detrimental to him. We'd, we'd get on our knees strong and good right then and probably stay there for a good long time. And he'd have to flee. His way is deception and lies. And many times annoyances. Flies, if you will. He goes through a, a list of types of flies. And, well, I won't say forgive me. This, these illustrations. Who we? Warble flies, bot flies, heel flies, nose flies, deer flies, black flies, mosquitoes, gnats, and the like. Sheep. Remember. We're the sheep. I'm a sheep. You're a sheep. Are especially troubled by the nose fly or the nasal fly. And you can probably say, yeah, I bet. These little flies buzz about the sheep's head, attempting to deposit their eggs in the damp mucus membranes of the sheep's nose. You can say, oh, brother, do you have to go on with this? It's pretty disgusting. If they are successful, the eggs will hatch in a few days to form small, slender, worm-like larvae. They work their way up the nasal passages into the sheep's head. They burrow into the flesh and there set up an intense irritation accompanied by severe inflammation. For relief from this agonizing annoyance, and I can believe it would be, sheep will deliberately beat their heads against trees, rocks, posts, or brush. They will rub them in the soil and thrash around against woody growth. In extreme cases of intense infestation, a sheep may even kill itself in a frenzied endeavor to gain respite from the aggravation. Often, advanced stages of infection from these flies will lead to blindness. Now, consider that horrific illustration right there. But then figure, we just heard someone just committed suicide. Who convinces people that it's worthwhile to take your life? The enemy. We let the enemy have an avenue into our minds. What can you expect? Aggravation is for some people it's it's mental illness. It's they can't handle life. They get convinced that there's no hope. But there is hope. But they're convinced that there's not. And it drives them to the point of insanity. Because of all this, when the nose flies hover around the flock, some of the sheep become frantic with fear and panic in their attempt to escape their tormentors. All this excitement and distraction has a devastating effect on the entire flock. I can imagine. Only the strictest attention of the behavior of the sheep by the shepherd can forestall the difficulties of fly time. Thank God we have a shepherd. And he watches over his sheep way, way more than what we realize. He watches over you 
way, way more than what you realize. Thank God He does. He's the Good Shepherd. And He knows exactly what you need right at the right time. Even if it's humbling. Only the strictest attention to the behavior of the sheep by the shepherd can forestall the difficulties of flight. At the very first sign of flies among the flock, he will apply an anecdote. This is the shepherd who will do this to their heads. I always preferred to use a homemade remedy composed of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar, which was smeared all over the sheep's nose and head as a protection against nose flies. Now, I can imagine that's probably quite a sight. But it helped. What an incredible transformation this would make among the sheep. Once the oil had been applied to the sheep's head, there was an immediate change in behavior. Gone was the aggravation, gone the frenzy, gone the irritability and the restlessness. Instead, the sheep would start to feed quietly again They soon lie, and soon lie down in peaceful contentment. Now, to me, that's a picture of, you want to have that? Well, let's see one of you guys come into church next Sunday with all this stuff all over your head and right around your nose. And you say, but man, I'm free from these flies. It takes humility. It's the only way to get the grace that God will give you. It takes humility. Of course, you don't. We wouldn't do that, but what, that's the picture. I need help. I'm hounded. How are you going to get it? We humble ourselves before each other. We say, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with whatever. I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with this battle, with this maybe this person over here, or whatever it might be. I need help. Would you pray for me? Can... That takes That's humility. That's that ointment that God can then apply to you to help with these flies that just get in your way of your mind and your spirit and your heart. They get wearisome, don't they? I mean, brothers, you know what I'm talking about. The various things of life that just get in the way. Oh, he goes on to point out there must be a continuous and renewed application of oil to forestall the flies. It's not just a one-time thing. Okay, yes, I know there's theologies out there of a second blessing and that kind of thing, but let's face it. It's a good prayer. Every day to say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, baptize me with your spirit. Flood me. I need it. I need you. I need him to live the life you're calling me to live. I need to be filled. And I don't see the God of heaven being disappointed by that being a daily prayer. That takes humility. Anoint me. Fill me. Help me. I can't make it. I can't get by the enemy without your help. And that's true. None of us can. We need to be anointed every day. 
another thing that they deal with is something called scab. Summertime's also scab time. Scab is an irritation, highly contagious disease common among sheep the world over, caused by a minute microscopic parasite that proliferates in warm weather. Scab spreads throughout a flock by direct contact between infected and non-infected animals. It says sheep love to rub heads in an affectionate and friendly manner. Scab is often found most common around the head. We find uh, when two sheep rub together, the infection spreads readily from one to the other. And he goes on to speak about he had a, he bought a few sheep from a neighbor, didn't know if they had scab, and then he had to run his whole flock through something they call a dip. It's it's you know for a sheep it may I don't know, maybe about this high right here who knows, and they run these sheep through and, and they fall into this dip. And they get totally 100% submerged. And then it, it said, hey, they, they crawl up out of it. But they have to get dipped. They have to get baptized, so to speak. That's a baptism, a literal baptism. For them to be able to get healed from scab. Okay? And so, I mean, the lesson to learn there is... You get this from other, they got this from other sheep. Well, if we're not careful with who we hang around with, you can get infected by the world and sin by getting too close to the wrong people. Now, yes, we're called to go reach people. But your deepest, closest friends need to be right here where you can encourage each other in Christ and provoke one another unto love and good works. Then you can go reach them. We, I should say. But uh, it, it's really critical that we learn the lesson from this <clears throat> And that we watch over our minds. He says, Thou anointest my head with oil. And he gives a few examples here of dealing with sheep. Well, what's that a picture of? But And he goes through this here. Of the importance of our minds being filled. Uh, Paul said, Romans 12, should be eloquent, but I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds need to be renewed by God, by His Word, by His Spirit. And if we're not careful to watch over that, our mind will get infected by a whole host of things out there. Anything other than Christ. So it's really important that we watch over our hearts, our minds. 
And whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just and pure and lovely and of good report, we think on these things. And we allow God to, through humility, keep us filled and keep our minds filled with those things. Thou anointest my head with oil. It says here, the, these autumn days, can, he's talking about going into autumn now in the fall time. These autumn days can be golden under Indian summer weather. The sheep have respite now from flies and insects and scab. No other season finds them so fit and well and strong. No wonder David wrote, my cup runneth over. And in a literal sense, how many of us here don't love fall time, September and October? It's that transition time where it begins to cool off. We begin to get a little bit of rain. and Oh, man, wouldn't some of us like to see some right now? But it begins that transition. And it, it was an adjustment for us when we moved here from Wyoming. Everything dies in October. Everything greens up here in November. It's like, oh, this is weird. I can't figure this out. And uh, But that's okay. But who of us just absolutely don't enjoy fall time? I love it. It's probably my favorite season. And a lot of people would say the same thing. It's beautiful. It's that time when your cup runs over. It is here that I grasp another aspect altogether of the meaning of a cup that overflows there is in every life a cup of suffering jesus christ referred to his agony in the garden of gethsemane and at calvary as his cup and had not overflowed with his life and had it not overflowed with his life poured out for men we would have perished so very true what a picture of my master sharing the wine the very lifeblood of his own suffering from his overflowing cup poured out at Calvary for me. Here is there with me in every storm. My shepherd is alert to every approaching disaster that threatens his people. He has been through the storms of sufferings before. He bore our sorrows and was acquainted with grief. And no matter what storms I face, his very life and strength and vitality is poured into mine. It overflows so the cup of my life runs over with his life often with great blessing and benefit to others who see me stand up so well in the midst of trials and sufferings. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. I hadn't thought of it that way. You know, it's easy to think of your, our cups overflow when life's going good and everything's happy and joyful and peaceful and, yeah, life's great, man. It's, and the job's going well and the family's in good condition. We've got good health and... And my cup's overflowing. But he's taking it to a different place and to a different level. Is it still overflowing in the midst of pain and sorrow and suffering? You know, he doesn't fill your cup just for you. He wants to fill your cup so that others can drink of himself out of your cup. It's all about him, remember. And his living water flowing into your cup, overflowing out of your cup, so that other people can see and taste. 
And he is seen the most when the cup is overflowing still in the midst of your pain, of your frustration. Maybe while you're dealing with the flies. Maybe while you're dealing with things much, much bigger than just flies. That's a challenge to me. Is my cup overflowing? Even there. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of an enemy. You've got the table. Thou anointest my head with oil. That happens when you feast here. And you look right to Him and get your eyes off of everything else. Some of the, the natural thing for Him to do is anoint your head with oil. Yes, child. Come and sit with me. Let my presence just envelop you. Get in that dip. Oh, but Lord, sometimes that's not fun. No, it's not. But that's where His healing can take place. By faith, go there. Okay, I do want to carry on. The gist of my message here is I'm getting there. I've been chewing on this a long time here. the, The verse that says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I've been chewing on this one. And it ministered to me when I read and found out that he had much of the same perspective that I was having. But let me get started here. Some of the things that he's sharing. No matter what comes, at least and always, he can be perfectly, the sheep can be perfectly sure that goodness and mercy will be in the picture. That's hard sometimes. Our tendency, our fleshly tendency, is to want to question God. Is to want to ask that dreaded question. Why? It's hard not to ask that sometimes. And just trust. Because most every time, we know the answer He's going to give us. If we really do get the gumption to ask him why his answer most of the time will be child trust me that's tough Lord I know I've been where you're at trust me he reassures himself that he is every undersound, sympathetic, intelligent ownership. What more need he care about? Speaking of the sheep, goodness and mercy will be the treatment he receives from his master's expert, loving hands. And it's no matter what it is. Okay, I shared with you when when I was growing up on the farm, and it was vaccination day. We had to bring all the cows in, get them all in that chute, pack them in, and then get that needle, that big needle. Everyone got poked. 
and they were packed in there. And I can't help believe these cows were thinking, what is going on? <laughs> hey, come on, we've all asked that question. What is going on? Well, the master is taking care of us. Oh, yeah? It don't feel like it. Well, he is. <clears throat> no matter what occurs in our lives, we are being followed by goodness and mercy. When one's body breaks down, when I stand by helpless, as I've had to do, and watch a life partner die by degrees under appalling pain, what is my reaction when my job folds up and there's no money to meet the bills? That's happened to me a few times. What happens if my children can't make their grades in school, can't get caught up in with the wrong gang? What do I say when suddenly, without good grounds, friends prove false and turn against me? That's another big test. I mentioned to you before, I, to stay content in Christ in the midst of being totally misunderstood. One of the biggest tests you'll go through, especially amongst your friends. And God says, trust me. Love your friend. You keep blessing and loving and encouraging them on. Even if you don't get any of it. Because I'm right here with you and I am your good shepherd. I can see again and again a similar compassion and concern for me and my master's management of my affairs. There were events which at the time seemed like utter calamities. There were paths down which he led me that appeared like blind alleys. There were days he took me through which were well nigh black as night itself, but all in the end turned out for my benefit and my well-being. There were times when I was tempted to panic, to bolt, to leave his care. Somehow I had this strange, stupid notion I could survive better on my own. Most men and women do. But this Despite this perverse behavior, I'm so glad he did not give, give me up. I'm so grateful he did follow me in goodness and mercy. Remember the, 90, the 99 sheep that stayed home and the one that went astray. What did the shepherd do? He went after that one. He, goodness and mercy went after, followed that stray sheep. And he found it. And yes, it was beat up scarred and marred. He picked it up. That's you and me, friends. There's times when we do that, you know. Hopefully to the Lord, you'd never just walk off into deep sin. But we've known a lot of people that have. But God does not give up on them. And so we shouldn't give up either. Goodness and mercy went after the lost. But the thing that it's been on my heart the most, and it's, it, it's going to sound redundant to you again, but I, I just, it's just the heart, how my heart beats, I guess. It's the thing I've been pondering, that statement about goodness, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life is this. Everywhere 
a person goes, there's something that follows. Over here. Over here. And it's not my finger or my hand. There's something that follows everybody. Whether they go live in a cave or whether they sell their soul to the devil and live in fame and financial ease. There's, there's something that follows them. There's different terms for it. His term that he used here in the book is called a legacy. A story. A testimony. It follows every person. Every single person will have one. And sometimes we would all like to say, yeah, but I, I don't want one. I don't want that responsibility. Hey, man, I know. I feel that way. But sorry. You are alive in this room. You have breath and life. And that is a testimony of the goodness of God. You woke up this morning because God is good. If you want to get down to the root of things, we are here this morning because God is good. But you're alive. You're here. So am I. You have a testimony. You have something that people are going to say and look at about your life, about mine. Something will be said about your life. There'll be a story that will follow you. And it will follow you even after you die. And God leaves it up to us what we want that story to be. He gives us a choice. What do we want to be said? <clears throat> what kind of aroma do you want to leave behind? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> what will be left behind? I'm going to start at verse, well, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 2, 16. I'm sorry, I'm going to back up to verse 15. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. You are going to leave behind an aroma. Oh, to God, that all of us would leave behind the aroma of Jesus Christ. That that's what would follow. You know, you get a boat out on the lake, and you get going, it leaves something behind. What do they call that? A wake. You can't help it. It's, it's, that's what it's going to be. There's going to be a wake left behind following that boat. 
You're going to leave behind some type of aroma, the aroma of Christ, an odor, a fragrance is what that word stands for. Let me read this to you. This is good. Sheep, and getting back to the example of sheep, sheep eat all sorts of weeds and other undesirable plants which might otherwise invade a field. See, the world would look at this as weeds. Why are you wasting your time on this? this you, you call this food? A feast? It's ridiculous. That's what the world would say. Okay. Sheep eat all sorts of weeds and other undesirable plants. Okay. Weeds and undesirable plants to the world. Okay. For example, they love the buds and tender tips of Canada thistle, which if not controlled can quickly become a noxious weed. In a few years, a flock of well-managed sheep will clean up and restore a piece of ravaged land as no other creature can do. Wow. Let that be the effect of our lives. In ancient literature, sheep were referred to as those of the golden hooves simply because they were regarded and esteemed so highly for their beneficial effect on the land. In my own experience as a sheep rancher, I have in just a few years seen two derelict ranches restored to high productivity and usefulness. More than, more than this, what uh, before appeared as depressing eyesores became beautiful park-like properties of immense worth. Where previously there had been only poverty and pathetic waste, there now followed flourishing fields with and rich abundance. In other words, Goodness and mercy had followed my flocks. They were left behind. They left behind something worthwhile, productive, beautiful, and beneficial to both themselves, others, and me. When they had walked, therefore, where they had walked, there followed fertility and weed-free land. Where they had lived, there remained beauty and abundance. The question now comes to me pointedly, is this true of my life? That is quite an illustration. Do I deposit a blessing behind me or am I a bane to others? Is my life a pleasure to people or a pain? Do I leave behind peace in lives or turmoil? Do I leave behind forgiveness or bitterness? Do I leave behind contentment or conflicts? Do I leave behind flowers of joy or frustration? Do I leave behind love or rancor? These are challenging questions. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've told you about my great-great-grandfather, who was a World War, uh, not World War, Civil War chaplain. He had a testimony and a life of uprightness and righteousness and godliness. William Sindek Fortune was his name there. And, we, and, and I told you about it. We went and saw his... His, uh, his headstone, this little uh, off the beaten path cemetery in Missouri down by Kansas City. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, he married his first wife, had seven children. She died. Married another wife, had seven, ch seven more. She died. Married one more. They didn't have any. He was getting too old by then. But he had 14 children. And a, a godly man known for his reputation. And here's this headstone. Probably about this. I don't know. It was up there. Do you remember? Yeah. And just decorated. All his children, his wives, they're with him. 
And then about 20 feet off to one side, here's this one little flat little thing. It was his youngest child, Leonard Fortune. That's all it said. Date, year. He was born, year he died. This was a man, my great-granddad, who was a heathen. He was a runaround. He was a very immoral man. <clears throat> so you have this, and you have this. And I thought, what a picture of two opposite lives. And the story and the testimony that they left behind. Both left behind a testimony. One was beautiful. One was sad. <clears throat> what do you want to leave behind? That's his question he's asking us. Goodness and mercy? You know, do you remember Agapito, the baseball pitcher I talked about a few times? who threw it wild everywhere. I was the catcher, and I was just trying to get in front of the baseball. I didn't even catch it with my mitt a lot of times. I could just see it way off to the side. I just try to get my body in front of it to block the ball because if, if I didn't, the ball was going to go to the backstop, and the guy on third base was going to score. The enemy was going to score. You know, I, Somebody had to do something. Get in front of the ball. Oh, Peter, would you please throw a strike? Try. But we still won the game. And remember, I told you, three years later, Agapito got a lot better. He was the pitcher, and he was throwing strikes. And he was the one that hit a home run in, in a very important game that we needed. So he got better. Somebody gave him a chance. He got better. But I've never told you this. Agapito and I were about two weeks apart on our birthdays, but... And it was that year, 1st August, obviously, I turned 16. About two weeks later, he turned 16. Of course, the thing that you do, you know, you get your driver's license when you turn 16. It's probably right about this time of year. Right about three weeks later, got the phone call. He was killed in a car wreck. He was drunk. After all that, I mean, just from an earthly sense, after all the effort he put in to make himself better and get better, and we were state champs, and one foolish act cost him. And that's the story he gets to leave behind. That's the tragedy. There's another young man who was a few years ahead of me in high school. Aaron Mitchell was his name. Star athlete, every uh, football, baseball, uh, uh, football, basketball, baseball. Most valuable player, Madras High School, 1974, I think. Going to go on a bright future ahead of him, you know, from an earthly sense. Going to go on to college and be a star. And about two weeks after he graduated from high school. They were out at, some of you know where Lake Billy Chinook is over there. He jumped off the bridge. They were jumping off the bridge. Popular thing to do down there, but he and his buddies have been drinking. 
and he jumped off that last time and they found his body about two weeks later. And that was the legacy he left behind. One foolish act. That was the story. God's desire is that as you walk through your life, people will be able to look and say, God is good and God is merciful. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God is good and God is merciful. What will they say? You know, man, I, I'm still chewing on this, what Glenn shared. It's been a few months back now. The lady that died, and, well, you know, I've been a good man tonight. I'm going to be okay. Is that, is that your testimony? You've been a good charityite? Is that it? If that's all it is, you missed it. Well, I, you know, he was good at at, uh, at business. Very successful businessman. Okay, that's not a bad thing. To, that's okay, but is that it? A lot of good businessmen die. And they go to hell. And they leave behind a legacy. Well, they were a good businessman. Is that it? Is God good and merciful? Well, yeah, He is, but you didn't see it in His life. Right? Is He a good worker? Are people good employees? That's a good testimony to leave behind. We've taught a lot of our young men to work the value of hard work and the testimony that it leaves behind. And it's a good testimony. Don't question that. But don't just be content with that. You're missing it if that's all you're striving for. Sit at His table. Feast on Him. Let Him anoint your head with oil. And follow Him. You won't even have to try. That will be the testimony of your life. It will be the fruit of your Fruit just grows. You put I, um, my microgreens that I grow. We ran out of, uh, we've been in shortage on the cocoa fiber. You know the little cocoa mats that I grow them on. And I had to, uh, had to get something else. So we had this, these uh, hemp mats. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know, man. I'm so used to the cocoa mats. You know, change, change. I'm an old farm boy. Change is hard. I don't like it. But these hemp fibers, man, they hold the water like you can't believe. And I found out my peas just flourished with them because they've got a constant, deeper supply of water. Well, figure it out, man. The water's right here. You want to be a healthy pea? Shoot that grows up and it's strong like mine do. Hey, you ought to see them. They're good. 
sit at the water. Sit at the well. Drink. Eat. Have Him anoint you. Let that water come down and just stay right there. You will grow. You can't help it. It will just happen. It's beautiful how it works because when that happens, guess who gets all the, the honor and the glory and the credit? Who does? He does. It's all Him. It's all His work. By people that just believe and have faith to sit down at the Master's feet. I'm not going to take too much more time here. Goodness and mercy. I got this book by Tozer. I had to look into the attributes of God a little bit on goodness because I knew both were in here, goodness and mercy. The goodness of God is that which disposes Him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, full of good will toward men. His tender-hearted and quick sympathy, His unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, friendly. It is a foundation stone for all sound thought about God and is necessary to moral sanity. Good way to put it. If God is not good, then there can be no distinction between kindness and cruelty, and heaven can be hell and hell heaven. The goodness of God is the divine behind all the blessings He daily bestows upon us. Divine goodness as one of God's attributes is self-caused, infinite, perfect, eternal. Since God is immutable, he never varies in the intensity of His loving kindness. He has never been kinder than He now is, nor will He ever be less kind. He is no respecter of persons, but makes His sun shine on the evil as well as the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky, that the God of heaven, though exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. And he calls us to leave behind that kind of a picture of goodness. And if we're honest, we'd all say, Lord, I can't do that. And he would say, yes, I know you can. But I can, and I can through you. Feast. Let me anoint you. There will be goodness and mercy. That will be the testimony of your life. Mercy of God. Mercy is not a temporary mood, but an attribute of God's eternal being. We would no longer fear that it will someday cease to be. Mercy never began to be, but, in, but from eternity was. So it will never cease to be. It will never be more since it is itself infinite. And it will never be less. Kind of like His goodness. Nothing that has occurred or will occur in heaven or earth or hell can change the tender mercies of our God. Forever His mercy stands, a boundless, overwhelming immensity of divine pity and compassion. As judgment is God's justice confronting moral inequity, so mercy is the goodness of God confronting human suffering and guilt. Were there, were there no guilt in the world, no pain and no tears, God would yet be infinitely merciful. But His mercy might well remain hidden in his heart, unknown to the created universe. Think about it. I never thought of it that way. But before the fall, before Adam and Eve fell, 
did they know that God was merciful. They were perfect. They were sinless. Just kind of a wild thought. He was. Whether they, whether they needed it at that time or not, he was. It is human misery and sin that call forth the divine mercy. And that, again, is where the tests get hard. Because in order for you to have opportunities to be merciful to people and leave behind mercy, people have to be unmerciful to you. People have to be unkind to you. And then God's challenge to you is, yes, but you show them kindness. That's when kindness truly shines forth. Is in those tests that, yes, are not fun, but they're critical. Do we want to leave behind a testimony of God's character and attributes? I trust that we all do. I do. Now my encouragement is just simply walk with God. Feast at His table again. Let Him anoint your head. Let Him fill you. That happens. I don't mind volleyball. Well, I can't play that much anymore, but I still don't mind. You guys have volleyball games, but if you if you walk with Him truly from the depths of your heart. The importance of volleyball, you can take it or leave it. Here's a challenge for you, young people. Can I challenge you? What do you think God would think if out of a volleyball game, a prayer meeting broke out? Just because we love Jesus and we just got to be with Him and we got to encourage each other and love each other. And you start saying, what's the score? I don't know. We lost track ten points ago. I don't care. That's just one example because that one is kind of dear to us right here. And I'm not being critical about that. But I am asking a question. Maybe, and maybe you need to ask it for yourself. What's really important? Do you want to be known? Do you want to leave behind a testimony of, that is a good volleyball player? Okay. I guess that's all right. Does God really care? Can I challenge us to stay true down this path? That as your life goes by and... Yeah, I know you hear us old guys say this over and over again. It's going to go by fast. It really is going to go by fast. You remember the canoe trip we took where I turned it over twice there? and Right about this time of year, right? Remember? You re... I know you do remember. <laughs> How long ago was that? I can tell you. 
It was just yesterday, wasn't it? It's been five years. Yeah, and see, Caleb's going. Because we don't realize how fast time goes by. It's been five years. I know. You blinked, didn't you? All that's worthwhile is Jesus Christ in our lives, my friends. And whether we like it or not, we're going to leave behind a testimony and a story, a legacy, something. Something will be said about your life, about my life. What's it going to be? Let it be all about Jesus, all about our God. That's all that's eternal. That's all that matters. Okay? Can I encourage you along these lines? That's, that's, that's my heart. I want, to, I want to be encouraging. Stay true. Go forward. March on. It's worthwhile. We're all going to get to that, into that race sooner than we think. And if we can truly say we ran the race to the end, and people could look at our lives and say, God is good and God is merciful, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Thank you.